This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. From the 206, if Scott Service puts Rafael Montero in again, I question him being the manager. That's overdone. Now, it's not even... Because it's it's not it's not Service's decision, right? Like S- Service did not sign him, and Service is not the reason that Rafael Montero's on the roster. And especially if you're in a situation where you've got one fewer roster spot because of Hector Santiago's suspension, yeah, like you can't. If that's the case, he needs to be released. He needs to be let go. And I don't think his performance warrants that. The Mariners' result last night, the four-one loss to the A's, wasn't as bad as it felt. And that that includes and Rafael Montero's performance wasn't as bad as it it looked or seemed. It's just it's hitting all of our sensitive buttons. It's part of a trend though. And if He you, hasn't been good. Danny, if you're a good baseball team, as you've described the Mariners, you are better than Rafael Montero. And look, Scott Service probably has other options to put in in that spot, but it's difficult, I would think, to name them off the top of your head, specifically right there. So I I would just look at this. Rafael Montero situation and ask yourself this question if you're Jerry DePoto and if you're Scott Service. What's salvageable here? You know, because this is this is now consistent struggles from him. And whether it's soft contact or hard contact, it, it doesn't matter. It, whenever he's out there, it's been bad. And I don't know that you can really have him work through this, especially when you have a stretch like this, like I, I, I don't want to see him the remainder of this seven-game stretch against the A's or Astros. When he's certainly, he's certainly not to be used in high-leverage situations. And last night in a one-run game feels very much like that. Yeah. And it was. They also don't have, if you're a manager, and especially when you're missing a reliever because Hector Santiago is suspended and you don't have that roster spot— you're limited in your choices. That's that's not really on service. The the, the discussion about Rafael Montero's future. I, I guess what I'm saying is, if you're gonna if we're gonna talk about him and his role going forward, that's not a service discussion. It's not it's not ultimately up to he has to use the relievers he has. And I don't I don't think Montero's been so bad to warrant a release, but it. The results have been continuously spotty, and the problem is that they, early on in the year when there were signs he was pitching better than the results he was getting, he's not pitching better now. Here was Scott Service after the game last night. The Mariners fell behind. They threatened to come back. It was 2-1 to one when Montero came into the game, and he ended up giving up. It was, it was a lot of soft contact. It wasn't, it wasn't like he got knocked uh, all over the yard, but it was... It was another outing in which he he allowed he ended up giving up all of those those two runs. The Mariners lose four to one. Here's the skipper afterward. Rafi hasn't been uh, as sharp here uh, in quite some time, and you know part of it is is just you know this guy has you know he leads off the inning, gets into a deep count, a little number um, that you know JP tries a short you know come get that starts off the inning, and then you know soft it after that, and you look up the bases are loaded. So uh, again, you can't pitch the same guys every night. You know, they all have to pitch in your bullpen. Uh, it was Monty needed to pitch. Uh, that was a spot for him. We're down in the ball game. Um, really thought it was a you know bottom of the order. Hopefully, get him through it, and then you know gives a chance to get back in it and pick up another run. But you know, it's tough to win a game and score one run. Um, you got to give those guys credit. They threw the ball really good against us tonight. 
Right. Montero's not the main reason they lost. Chris Flexen's not the main reason they lost. It's the offense that struck out 13 times, and for whatever reason, they just struggle. So um, maybe it's because he's a lefty um, against— This team strikes out a ton. Right. On-base percentage is not one of the the strengths of this team. Um, it's it's not it's not one of the signs, and they, and they do strike out a ton. I thought he looked good last night. I thought Manaya did, but at some point that that was the reason. I think you hear from service there that they're probably getting close to the end with Montero. Yeah, I I, 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 do, I do where he's recognizing of like, look, I've got to use him. You can't have a player in your bullpen, especially when you're down a man that you're you're just never pitching unless you're getting blown out. And we've been pretty good they've won what they 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 were 20 and 10 in their last 30 games so it's not like there are meaningless opportunities to put him in or you you need to eat up innings I think they're probably getting close to the end of the end with him yeah I do too and now it's a matter of okay well who is who is your next man up is there somebody in the minor leagues that you take a look at or when Hector Santiago comes back are you just going to make do with what you have I think some of the good news is it does seem like Justin Dunn his return is happening at some point because he is now uh, close to throwing off of a mound, much like we saw with Kyle Lewis, who is now hitting off of a tee. So they, they should get to be more healthy. The, the Mariners with game two of their four-game set with the, with the A's. And it, I'm not going to tell you that last night was a good game. It, it, it felt worse than it actually was. When you're giving yeah. up runs off of the kind of nubbers and bleeders that Rafael Montero or a ball that, Ra- that Luriano, Ramon Luriano hit off of Chris Flexen's legs, it's not, it's not like, like they got knocked, knocked all over the park last night. Right. It's one of those games where you're just frustrated because you realize how dire the stakes are in any game against the Oakland A's. If you want to make something seriously happen this year, now you really have to win the rest of the series, right? Don't you have to win the remaining three games? Because I I think it's more realistic to take three or four from Oakland than it is to take two or three from Houston. You you need to finish four and three. If if you're going to come out of this week feeling like, hey, we got legitimate playoff shot, you got to win one of these two series, I think. Yep. I, I, I think I think you need to win one of these two series. So that does. And you, the way your pitching rotation lines up, the way you're, you, it lines up with Kikuchi on the mound tonight. You, this, you, is, this is big for Kikuchi, by the way. You know what? One of the things, and, and, and Ryan Divish talked about this, and, and, and I think Ryan Rollins, check that. Ryan Rollins Smith talked about this. I, I brought this up, too, when I first saw it. I don't know what it is, but he just hasn't looked like himself the last two starts. And whatever the heck it is, he needs to get that competitiveness back he's got to challenge these batters. You know, you can't, you can't pitch around everybody. You're, you're Yusei Kikuchi. You need whatever confidence boost he needs going into this one. You're an all-star pitcher, man. You got to pitch like it. And he, and he didn't in that game against the Yankees before the all-star break. That question of whether it's a little bit of fatigue in his arm or if it's between his ears is a really important one right now. Yeah. Do you th- what do you think it is? I think it's more between the ears Same. than I think that it, it is. It is with his arm, and even if a little bit of velocity comes down, yeah, you've got to be able to compensate for that. You, you've got to be able. His first year, the thing that I felt got him into trouble, and it certainly a, a limited how deep he could go into games, was he nibbled. He nibbled way too much, and whether that's a lack of confidence in his stuff, or or, or uh, that does that pitching away from contact and getting afraid to get hit. 
I think we've seen a little bit of that. And even if his velocity's down, he's got to find a way to compensate for that. You it, can't nibble. You can't nibble. You have to, at the very least, make them hit it. Is nibble pitching away from contact? I've never heard that yes. term before. Okay. Yeah. Nice term. Well, like if you, where you're afraid because you start trying to make the perfect pitch, yeah. you start trying to make it, and, oh, I only want to just touch the outside edge because you're afraid of a guy getting solid contact on it instead of saying, hey, that's where I want to put it, but I'm going to challenge him. I don't think they're going to be able to hit this. And if you want to see where... Where I'm coming from, where where Ryan Roland Smith was coming from, go back to the Yankees game if you have the ability to, and just watch the second half bat of the game against Aaron Judge. He threw Aaron Judge nothing that was hittable, and I can understand why Aaron Judge is a good hitter, but it's the first inning, you know, like you got to challenge the guy early. Maybe later on in the game when it's a high leverage situation, and then your arms maybe a little bit gassed, and you got some guys on base. Okay, that's a different situation, but right out of the shoot, come on, you're Yusei Kikuchi, you're an all star. Is Kikuchi or Gilbert start more important? Because as Gilbert has risen and had the two best starts of his season, Kikuchi has had two of the more concerning starts that he's had. And it's made me feel that there might be a change at the topping of the pecking order and who your best pitcher is. It is, you need both of them. You need both of them to, to have that sort of top of the rotation kind of stuff. I'd agree with you. This is a really, this might be the most important start tonight of you say Kikuchi's season because yeah. so far he has had a huge step forward and a tenure with the Mariners that started off with, we expected more from him than we got the first season. Mm-hmm. Last year, the Mariners thought he pitched better than the results he got. And then this year, where he's been, everybody's looked at, hey, this is the best he's been. He's an all-star. He was chosen to the all-star team. All right, you got to keep that up for the whole season. Like, that's that's part of it. And that some of this is going to come back to last year not having a full season. And that nobody had a full season, so we don't know how he's... But he's got to be able to maintain that. He's got absolutely got to be able to maintain that. And... You're more confident in Logan Gilbert right now. That might not be realistic, but, I mean, with what Gilbert has shown, it feels like he's getting better. And right now with Kikuchi, yeah, there's confidence questions, and there's questions about fatigue. There's questions about is he going to be able to pitch for an entire season at this level? It's really hard for, I think, any pitcher in baseball, too. So, yeah, if we're picking between the two, it's much more important tonight for Gilbert. Or, excuse me, for uh, Kikuchi, because this is the game that you could potentially win the series on if he can turn it. Frankie Montas is starting for the A's. First pitch, 7-10 tonight right here on 7-10 ESPN Seattle. Pre-game will start at 6. The NFL, we're starting to see players show up and report to training camp. We'll get to around the NFL in just a second. But the Green Bay Packers find themselves in the midst of, there's another, a, a second a second major block of uncertainty at the point when most people are expecting Aaron Rodgers to show up at some point to play this season. Now there's a question of what's going to happen with Devontae Adams, who's in line and wants a contract extension, and it sounds like negotiations have broken down. Oh, what a beautiful morning. This is fantastic. This is further chaos for the Packers, because I was starting to think, Danny, over the last couple of days, that we're going to see Aaron Rodgers back, and we might still see Aaron Rodgers back, but any discord, any chaos that can be sown into this team that's been so consistent the last two years is good for the rest of the NFC, and specifically the Seahawks. Because remember, when these two teams went up against each other the last time around in the playoffs, the teams are totally different now, but Aaron Rodgers did what he wanted. And, you know, with this secondary that the Seahawks at least currently have, I don't know that they would necessarily fare well against Green Bay, and they do play Green Bay this season. It's it's bad, but can be fixed quickly. It sure can. You're right. and It's, it's bad, but it can be... Do you think... We're if they hoping go into- that, it, that this lingers. If it goes into this season where, hey, say both these guys sit out the first three weeks of training camp, they, they miss a preseason game and then show up and get ready, and both of them go into this year feeling like, hey, this is my last year as a Packer, is that a bad thing for Green Bay? 
Maybe. I, I think that it would lead to perhaps some rust the first couple of weeks of the season. And also, yeah, I, I would think that there might be some business decisions made perhaps in games based off of that. But they also got the ultimate incentive to outperform, right? Like if they you've do. got them playing on that carrot, if they're both in essentially contract years, even if they're mad at you, that might be the best situation if you're the Packers and think, hey, we're going to have to turn this over but a year from now anyway. What does Adams have to prove? What does Rodgers have to prove? You know, you know, Adams, what do you have, 18 touchdowns last year? And with, with Rodgers, too. You know he's Aaron Rodgers. And I would just go back to that NFC Championship game against the Green Bay Packers. I mean, remember when he didn't go for the football? When mm-hmm. that game had been decided? I, I would just, I'd just keep an eye out for more of that. Things are perhaps unhappy if he if he's going to actually give his all for the corporation. It's Danny and Gallant. It is time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at nine fifteen with Danny and Gallant. And by the way, Keen Griffin just signed a one year deal with the Miami Dolphins. So how about that? Good for him. So he's in Miami. Shaquille is in Jacksonville. Loud I'm su- boys. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Jacksonville didn't sign Shaquille as well. I am too. But you know, whenever you have the opportunity to use a roster spot for Tim Tebow, you you got to hit it. <laughs> Mora Dooley, what's up? <laughs> oh goodness, Tim Tebow. You guys know my stance on that one. Uh, following up on what Danny was just saying, uh, Matt Schneidman of The Athletic, who covers the Packers, says that he can confirm that the Packers don't want to recognize DeAndre Hopkins' deal when considering Adams. Hopkins makes $5.25 million more than any other wide receiver, and Green Bay doesn't seem to want to make Adams the highest paid. This is what happened with Walter Jones. Now, people in Seattle remember, and it never became a Walter held out and didn't. He, he wasn't at training camp for three straight years. He missed two games the first year of this, but. And basically, the reason was because Walter wanted to be pay, the highest paid left tackle in the league. He's the best left tackle in the league or be made. And Seattle was like, we're not paying you what Jonathan Ogden did because the Baltimore Ravens negotiated a terrible contract. And the contract was so bad that the guy who negotiated that, the Ravens didn't let him do any more contracts. We're not negotiating off of the outlier. And. Walter's camp's response was, well, that's the price of the position. Like, you, can't, you can't tell me, hey, market value is what dictates our, and then say, well, we're not going to include that data point from the market value. If, if that's really what the hangup is here, that's, that's not going to get bridged. If that's, you can't, as a team, as a team, and you take that approach, you're basically saying, we're not going to sign this player to a long-term contract, and we're going to have to navigate it other ways. Right, and... So now I guess what you can do is try to make something on a short-term basis perhaps a little bit more palatable. I, I don't know what the solution is here, though, because it does feel like it's not necessarily just the money, too, right? With, with, with both of these guys, obviously. Rogers wants everyone to know that. But with Adams, in specific, I would... With Adams, it is just money, though, right? If he's been negotiating and he's mad because they're not taking DeAndre Hopkins, like he can say it's respect, but it's about the the amount of money that's been offered. If if that's the Packers, there's no way to bridge that gap, though. If that is the actual Packers negotiating, there's there's got to be some there's got to be some Rogers factor there, right? I mean, 
if Rodgers isn't know, there, would he want to be there, especially going into a contract year too? You know, <laughs> that, that that might be perhaps a concern of his. I don't think he needs to prove Check's anything. going to look still. the same in his bank account, right? Yeah. Like whether or not Rodgers is there. Yeah, dudes want to get paid. Yeah. You also don't want to have a terrible quarterback throwing the ball your way either. Be a lot easier if you got all that money guaranteed in your bank account. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. How do you sleep at night when that happens on a bed made of money, Paul? <laughs> I don't know. The bed would be uncomfy. I would still be annoyed by that. Give me the ball. Don't be a scrub. Don't want no scrubs. Scrub is a guy that can't get no love. Amen. Uh, The Mississippi mustache himself, Gardner Minshew, joined Chris Long's Greenlight podcast. And um, this story they got into just kind of cracked me up. I'll let you guys take a listen. I was doing some digging, man. You know, before you were a football star, you were on the Brandon First United Methodist Church basketball league team okay and i'm reading that you guys beat a team 60 to 2 right. do you ever worry about going to hell because of that uh no um you know I, I feel like you know maybe they should worry about you know not you know playing to the best of their abilities you know i, I play to glorify the lord that's what i was doing there you, know, we go. you think the lord likes half asses? i don't think so <laughs> that's awesome great answer that podcast, by the way, is a fantastic listen with some of the guests that Chris Long puts on, and he puts some real effort into the interviews that he does. That That's hysterical. I will say this. Running up the score, that should not be a thing. It should not be a thing in that people get so upset about it, especially in games like this. You know what? Every single moment of those games is one of the few opportunities that you're going to potentially have to play sports over the course of your life. And you should be playing as hard as you can every single moment. Now, if a team's up by a lot, maybe you put in the backups. But the backups should be able to go as hard as they want, right? I mean, it's not their fault that that other team is the way that it is. I remember one time in high school, we 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 had a team on our schedule forfeit. And I was enraged by this because they weren't good. And I thought I was going to get to play in that game because they weren't good. I thought we were going to be up big. So I'm, I, I feel like you run up the score on somebody. I mean, it's the other team's fault. They stink. What's the worst you've ever lost? There were two. Uh, we lost in the playoffs 63-6 to to Glades uh, Day Christian, which was one of those schools that was in a Sports Illustrated piece where they talked about how during the offseason these guys were running through sugarcane fields barefoot, catching rabbits with their bare hands. So that wasn't fun. And then uh, the very next game that we played, the season opener, we played Fort Meade, the defending state champs who were in our district after moving down five classes, essentially, so that they would have an easier route. And We just need to know the scores, Paul. 63 nothing. <laughs> were you mad that they got the score run up on you? No, no. I played hard the whole game. I played well, but we got killed. So what does that matter? God, Laura. Just providing You're just context. Us a lot of details there. What's wrong with details? <laughs> Those losses are very vivid to you. Clearly, the one, the, that 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 uh, read that report in Sports Illustrated. <laughs> it's it's like those are actual high school kids. They were terrifying. That was like the, the worst team in that city. All right, a lot has been made the last couple weeks of Ben Roethlisberger's physical transformation, and we were hearing reports that he was on the TB12 diet, and apparently. He says that's bunk, and he wants to clarify. You know, there, there are reports coming out of my camp, and my camp is my wife, my agent, and my trainer, and I know that none of them talk to that person, so I'm not really sure where that information came from. Um, but like I said, naturally you do. You, you, you work on your diet, you work on exercise, and, 
you have to do everything you can to get yourself ready to play this game um, at this age and um, for this many years. You, you find ways to do it, but some things get exaggerated a little bit from golf analysts. Wow, taking shots. Well, I, I will take a shot. What, you're waiting until you're 37 to try to get in shape? Well, did you see the picture of him showing up? Uh, he did no. not particularly look lean and mean and in yes. shape. And I know they were that like, that's... look how lean he is. And I was like, uh, I yeah. guess. And it's weird when we get into these because there's it, it's free game to say whatever you want about some people but not about other. But overall, if Ben Roethlisberger showed up in incredible shape... Like and looks like a totally different person. the The storyline would then be is he on steroids, right? Like there would be like, oh, what's been going on there? So, I, I don't care how Ben Roethlisberger looks, and I don't even think it's realistic to expect him to suddenly be in much different shape. He's been a really good player for an awful long time, and yeah, he milks injuries from time to time. But that's that's a weird thing when people like he's been a really good player without with being big and kind of ungainly he'd be a worse player if he wasn't as big as he was because he gets sacked easier yeah that's true he is very difficult to bring down but at the same time there's an element of couldn't he perhaps have done a little bit more to make that frame i don't know somewhat stronger like is is it being a he's doughy right I think you can criticize a guy if he is not available for games and is getting hurt and wonder if he can be in better condition. If you've got a great player, I don't care how he looks and he plays in games. This goes for Russell Wilson each and every year when people start talking about him being pudgy or how he's looking and I think he's packing on weight. I'm like, look, that dude always plays. And until he stops playing and starts missing games because of different things, I'm going to say that maybe that mass helps him. Maybe that helps Maybe. him be a little more resilient, and you don't need to be so, like, if he had a lower body fat percentage, that he wouldn't be as resilient. I, I, I think we end up wanting a guy to look away because of how he fills out a uniform as, to, as opposed to how effective that actually makes You know what? That's, that's, a, that's a really good point. And uh, overtraining is, is a thing. And, you know, I, I would also point to, who was it, Rob Johnson, who I think was a uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback. And I remember just, I don't know who, to, I don't know if I heard this here or somewhere else, but this was a guy who was like ripped, but he was obsessed with his body, like wasn't eating a whole lot. And the guy got hurt all the time. I mean, he, he was thought to be a pretty talented quarterback to the point where, I mean, the Buffalo Bills traded a first round pick for him and actually played him in a playoff game over Doug Flutie. I mean, Peyton Manning wasn't chubby or anything, but I don't think he had a six pack ever. No. He was just, no. just a dude. Brock's coach has told him to eat, gain, eat some pizza. Drink some beer, gain a little bit of weight when he was at UW because he was in too good a shape. And he was. He was someone that was he did not have very much body fat. I mean, some of that's because when he goes to a hamburger place, he'll order half a burger without the bun. But yeah, I I I don't think I don't think body beautiful guys are necessarily the most resilient football players. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It is Danny and Gallant. It's not just about how their body looks, it's what they're putting in their bodies. Uh, the great unburdening of COVID takes from NFL players and what it means for the future next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Series of tweets, responses from NFL players yesterday. I don't want to say that the NFL decided to suddenly get tough in terms of vaccine administration, but they sent a memo that certainly those players who have been so far reluctant 
to get vaccinated that push them more in that direction. Let's let Mike Garofalo, who covers the NFL, works for the NFL Network, give an explanation of of what what the league said yesterday. If the game's not played, it's not just the team that, that caused the outbreak. Both teams would not be paid their paragraph five salary, their base salary, that installment uh, for that game. So even if it's the team, I mean, you remember teams were upset last year. Hey, it's their problem, and we're rescheduling this game, and we're moving this game around, and it's in- inconveniencing us. Yeah, well, on top of that, you're not going to get paid right. if it's the other team that creates the mess. Now, the the NFL's rule was, hey, if there is a if there is an outbreak, if there is a COVID outbreak among teams, and there we're not going to make the same sort of scheduling concessions we made a year ago. And if it's among players who have not been vaccinated, like that, that you're you're potentially putting your team at more risk to having one of those outbreaks that that will delay it. And it caused a lot of players to react. DeAndre Hopkins said he might have to quit, though he later walked that back. Leonard Fournette said he just couldn't do it. DJ Reed, who's a member of the Seahawks, said that he had reservations about it, but ended up getting it because of what he felt as pressure from his team and from the NFLPA, and he didn't know how to feel about that. This is a move that the NFL did to, I think, get players like DJ Reed to make that decision to put a little fear into their mind about the idea of what might happen if they don't get a paycheck, even though this is exactly the same protocol that the NFL had last year, and even though the odds of them actually causing a game to be canceled due to forfeit, I would say, are close to zero. DJ Reed types, and I mean by DJ Reed types, because Reed has played well enough to earn a spot as a starter in this league, but there are a lot of guys who are just scraping it together week by week to make it in this league. And availability is your biggest asset when you are one of those guys who is just waiting for an opportunity. And I think that they feel that by putting that kind of pressure that they can get maybe not someone who is established like a Cole Beasley to decide to get the vaccine, but they can get everybody else. I got to say it's smart by the league, but they literally are doing nothing differently in that from what they did last year based off of the announcement that they made yesterday. They're basically saying we're not going to be so understanding, right? Because the agreement with the NFLPA is the same. The the criteria that they're using, like the same potential repercussions existed last year if a game wasn't played and people not. They're basically just saying, hey, we're going to be tougher this year about that. We're not going to provide as much flexibility for changing schedules, and we might make people will. forfeit. They di- they didn't they didn't make anybody forfeit last year, right? Exactly. Like they played all of the games, and if they didn't play a game Nick, this year, you're talking about not having fans. Like you would, you are you going to refund all those ticket prices? Yeah, exactly. So, I agree with you from that point. The other side of it is how these players, how the players feel. I I saw Jalen Richard, the running back for the Las Vegas Raiders, saying that. Hey, read up on all of your your players' association rights, the the labor agreement. Study that like you do your playbook. And we're being treated like we're in jail this year. Play accordingly. He eventually deleted that tweet. Is the NFL has never been noted for how understanding and compassionate it, it is for its players? Okay. Is it is this different? Is this any different, or is this a reasonable policy by a, a league? that wants to minimize potential disruptions to its business in the upcoming season. It's going to be subjective as far as the the word reasonable goes, because some people are going to see it as, oh, well, you're just mandating everybody to do this. What is this Mm -hmm. communism? And there are other people that are going to say, well, this is the obvious thing that you should do. Players need to be available week to week, and this is the way to make yourself more available. I do fall into that latter category with this specifically. Like, if you don't want to play, 
then you don't have to. And if you don't want to get the vaccine, then you don't have to play. You know, like you, you can make that choice if you are if you are so objected to it. But, you know, the thing is, this is a sport where there's a lot of guys in close proximity with each other in locker rooms. And there is, I guess, for those who maybe aren't vaccinated, a chance for things spread. But at the same time, I really wonder just how how dangerous, not dangerous, how likely a COVID outbreak is. Just saw a post from Pro Football Talk. The headline reads, 80% of NFL players have had at least one shot of the COVID-19 yep. vaccine. I mean, Judy Batista just reported that. that that's, a, that's a pretty good spot to be in, and there is a part of me that thinks that that's probably good enough to prevent any serious problems as far as the actual ability to play a game. Now, there might be some guys who were surprised scratches last minute, but I, I don't think that with 80% vaccination rates, even though these vaccines, of course, don't necessarily prevent any of the strains, all the strains of COVID-19, I, I think that this is not going to turn into the kind of problem that that warning that the NFL put out there seen, made it seem like it's, it's oh, it could happen week to week. This might happen every single week. It, we're in a different place than we were last year. You're, you're getting close with that number of talking about herd immunity and the criteria for that. Now, it's different because the players, it's not a closed environment. It's like not like they're just around each other. They're still uh, going out. And, and there's they're going to be in environments that m- might not necessarily have that high a vaccination rate. The other thing that I've been surprised at is the and it, this comes from the same people who have been what I would consider really dismissive of players using things like paternity leave and not being present or available for games are the same ones who tend and I've heard would be very opposed to leagues or teams mandating vaccines Mm. which would have the intention of making players more available and reducing the likelihood that someone gets sick and if they do get sick that they would it wouldn't be as serious and they would recover quicker it's it's interesting how that how the same issues and the same idea of availability for your team is viewed differently when it's a question of paternity leave as opposed to when it is a question of whether or not you're more likely to become infected with COVID and, and potentially transmit that. So it's, it's provided an opportunity to see a lot of different discussions and, and, and look at them from, yeah. from a different light. Uh, and the willingness some players have to put their body at risk for things like head trauma as opposed to what they're in. It, it is their body and it is their choice, but you're, you also don't have a right to, to play in the NFL and the league can set standards on what you're required to do before. And they have not mandated the vaccine, though they've certainly pushed very hard in that direction. It is Danny Glunt. We're going to raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. We've had a lot of things happen today. We've had uh, in-depth nickname discussions. We've gotten to the bottom and solved the country's vaccination questions, right? That we did. It's all over. Peace in our time, Danny O'Neill. As it was going off yesterday on Twitter when John Feliciano from Buffalo is tweeting out his opinions about the origins of COVID and the effectiveness of Dr. Anthony Fauci. As DeAndre Hopkins is saying that, hey, I might have to retire. And Jalen Ramsey is saying, I know two people who got vaccinated and still got COVID. I'm not going to hold any hard feelings. I thought to myself, 
wow, I'll bet that this debate is going to come to a very reasonable conclusion and we'll all be smarter for having participated in it. I like chaos and perhaps I'm a bad person for cackling at some of the rather <laughs> interesting takes. But I have enjoyed some Alas, of the things Alas, all seen it was there. was more people yelling at each other over who was really dumb and who was sheeple. Yeah, man. <laughs> You're just a sheeple. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is time for us to get two flags. I, I would like to... I, I mean, We spent a lot of time mocking the new nickname. I want to raise a flag for Cleveland going to the effort of getting Gump <laughs> to, anna- to, an- to announce their new nickname. Here's Tom Hanks saying what Cleveland's baseball team will be henceforth known. <laughs> and now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest, to come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together we are all Cleveland Guardians. It's so cheesy. The Guardians! We're Apparently there's a, there's a route from some of the sculptures that are on one of the bridges entering town, yada yada yada. One of my favorite movies in the world is Team America World Police, and there's a very specific scene where two actors from the Film Actors Guild are talking about how they're guards, and they just keep on going back and forth saying, we're guards, we're guards, and that's all I can think about with this nickname. Congratulations on busting out Tom Hanks for some reason, even though he has no ties to Cleveland. It makes it seem a little bit more regal, but it's not doing anything about that nickname, which is still lame. Yeah, it's not great. The River Fires would have been better. Or the Flaming Rivers. How about... Cleveland Flaming Rivers. How about the Cleveland Firewater? Yeah. And that means whiskey, though, right? And you're, you're trying to get away from the whole Native American... Whoa! ...references. Didn't think about that. Yeah, I think that I, th- I think that's generally where I've heard the the, the nickname of, of Firewater for whiskey being attributed <laughs> to. Is, I, I didn't think that through. Okay. Uh... You could also there's all sorts of stuff you could do. And you get a blank canvas. Uh do you hear what happened when Stanford, and this is like the seventies when they changed their mascot? No. They let the they let the students vote on it. How do you think that went? Bodie McVoterson? It wasn't it wasn't that. It was more it was a little more smart alecky. They the winning vote was Robber Barons, which Leland Stanford was one of them. <laughs> That's great. This number two number two winning ca- candidate was steaming manhole covers. The well, school said, thank you very much for your contributions, students. We will be the cardinal going forward. They learn never ask students again to contribute anything. Cardinal is such a hoity-toity elitist name. Because it's not even the bird. It's color. Right. And they got a tree. You ever talk to, Wy- talk to Wyman about the tree? Yeah, he doesn't like the tree? He hates the tree. Wyman got booed by the band. Like when what? they introduced Dave, yeah, when they introduced Dave Wyman at the at, at senior night at the bonfire, the band booed him, and he he's proud of that. He does not like the band. What what happened? There has to be something that caused this. He thinks they're part. They think they're part of the show. Is what Dave would tell you about the band. Well, 
they, in a very unfortunate way, were a part of the show that one time. He thinks they shouldn't be. Yeah, and Dave was on the field when that happened. Yeah. So that's probably part of it. Dave, Dave does not, Dave does not appreciate the band's attitude toward life. He had a guy that was trying to explain to him a little bit more. Who went to Stanford? Let me talk to you about the band. And Dave just waved him off, like I, I don't want to hear it. I've made up my mind on that one. He's he's a hundred percent right. Get off the field, idiots. But he's basically get off campus, idiots. Band people are hardos and. No offense to any band people that might be listening, but you know that there are some people that are in the band with you that are absolutely insufferable. The Stanford band is different, though, because they're smart Alex. It's not band hardos. It's people who think they're smarter and want to make a mockery of the thing they're supposed to be performing for. Mm. Maura, what do we got? All right, I am going to uh, raise a flag for this find from our own, from 710sports.com's Brent Stecker. Uh, one of the guys that the Kraken took in the expansion draft, Morgan Geeky from uh, Carolina. He's a center. Uh, Brent dug up this old quote from him, apparently uh, in the News Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he said, if we stick to our game at the end of the day, you can't out pizza the hut. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And now I really like want to learn more about Morgan Geeky. I'm a fan. I like that idea. <laughs> you lose a tough football game, but sometimes you just can't out pizza the hut. They they definitely they definitely have some personalities. That's for sure. Um, I, I'm I, I'm having a difficult time remembering all the names, so forgive me. It's it's like a I need to create flashcards essentially right now. But the the guy who saw the ghost as well, Brandon Tenev, yes, Pittsburgh from the Pittsburgh Penguins, went to college at Providence. Sup. Well done. Nice, Danny. Jeez. Anyway, he seems fun. <laughs> they have some fun guys. So that's great. That's a great way to build, you know, a relationship with the community. Paul, what do you got for a flag? Did anyone see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Super Bowl ring? I mean, that thing is just bleep you. Hey, we have, apparently, because the final score was 31-9, 319 diamonds on it. You can remove the diamonds, and there is a stadium underneath it. And the stadium where the Bucks won their home field has surrounded it all the places on the road where they won. But the best part is that they followed Devin Weiss's Devin White's advice. Devin White, for those who don't know, Buccaneers linebacker, talented linebacker, but I think maybe the funniest personality in the NFL that a lot of people don't know about. Devin White had some takes on the ring, and they followed his advice. So he just won the Super Bowl. Devin White came running up to me, and he said, Darcy, we got to bling this out. <laughs> yeah, I told him, make the rings biggest. <laughs> I just love Devin White. He's great. So they followed his advice, that's for sure. And my goodness, that ring that Tom Brady now has, I've, I feel like it's three times the size of all the other rings that he won with New England. It's pretty cool. If you win it, flaunt it, right? Absolutely do it. How often would you wear it? Because I feel like those rings are not exactly the easiest to wear. Having tried on a couple of my old co-worker uh, Ted Johnson's rings at the same time. They are, they are He has massive fingers, but they're, they're just bulky. You wouldn't want to put on, I, I would imagine, that up for unless it's a really special occasion. You wouldn't walk like every day around with that on. Yeah, I can't imagine wearing it for anything that's not related to a Hall of Fame or, like, football team event. 
they're enormous. But yeah. there's nothing in my life that has prepared me to answer the question of how would I flaunt extraordinary success. So yeah. if I were to be that successful, I might wear it everywhere because I would want everybody to know that I did something that noteworthy. Being so indistinguished as I am, I, I just I don't think I have a frame of reference. Would you put it around your neck on a chain like your Frodo? Maybe. Look, yeah, from the Shire. Um, look, if I become rich, everybody better watch out. I'm going to be insufferable. You're going to be a robber baron. Yeah, because I'm not. I'm. I'm not particularly pleasant to be around, and I'm pretty poor. <laughs> it's going to do it for us. Want to thank Michael Bumpus for joining us for the eight o'clock hour. The Professor John Clayton, more duly for keeping everything on the straight and narrow and occasionally, occasionally hassling Paul over the details. And he is Paul Gallant, and I, I could see him wearing a Super Bowl ring as an everyday accoutrement. <laughs> he is Danny O'Neill, and he just gave you a warning. Don't, don't give him money. <laughs> don't. He'll create the next Skynet or something. Yeah, basically the... I have a lot of opinions. I have no power to enact them. If that were to change in any way, it would be horrible news for society. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm, I might I might slide a little uh, check underneath the, <laughs> the front door, and hopefully I'll be part of those decisions that you make going forward. Up next, is Yusei Kikuchi going to turn it around tonight against the Oakland A's? A lot of things on the table for today's show. So long. Farewell. You'll hear Danny and I Monday morning at 7.